the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. What is arrogance? It means boasting, a gloating. That's what the word means. It conveys the thought of gloating over another because of assumed superiority. I've won. I've conquered. I'm better. And when you let the world's standard and the world's philosophy control you, you are doomed to give in to pride. Isn't that the truth? We are completely immersed in a world that thinks one way when our Lord wants us to think in a completely different way. In the late 90s, IBM had an advertising slogan that said simply, Think. Well, Apple countered with, Think different. (laughs) It wasn't good grammar, but it was good advice. However, the kind of different thinking the Lord calls us to goes way beyond anything imagined by the leaders of either of those two businesses. By all accounts that I've read, Gates and Jobs were both incredibly ambitious and more than just a little selfish. Humility wasn't even in the vocabulary. And as I look at the leaders of our society today, it sure seems like we're almost all following that example. What's wrong with that? Well, for one thing, the Lord's command to do nothing from selfish ambition. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Verse by Verse. Our teacher is Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. And our current study is in James chapter 3. James 3.14 says, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. The ancient Greek philosopher Antisthenes said, As iron is eaten away by rust, so the envious are consumed by their own passion. Jealousy is nasty stuff. It has no place in the church or in the heart of a Christ follower. Let's turn to James 3 now. Here's Pastor Steve. But bitter jealousy, we're threatened by others doing a better job, having a bigger congregation, having a better Sunday school class, having more people. Somebody told me this week about a a former pastor they had who who actually used to go out into the parking lot before the service and count how many cars are there, see what size crowds are coming. I wish I could say that in the ministry that uh, bitter jealousy doesn't take place, but I know better than that, it does. All you have to do is get around a few pastors and you'll realize the petty rivalry, the competition, the comparison, the drive and the zeal to be number one. It's terrible. It's there. To have the largest following, to be the most popular preacher or teacher. And that's why many pastors will never cooperate with other churches. We can say that it has to do with separation, but sometimes it has to do with sin, and we don't want to cooperate for fear that more people will go to their church, more people will like them. Bill Houck was telling me recently about a a youth ministry that uh, seemed to want to be in competition with us. Feared that. That's terrible. There are some who don't cooperate with, with one another because they don't want the other person to look good. We want to look good. And it's not just on the uh, pastoral level. It's, it's on Sunday school classes. It's, 
It's in our homes, wanting our children to perform and recite their 15 scripture verses backwards. I know because I've tried to show off when people come over too, and then usually Michelle reproves me after. But all of us have that, uh, look what my son can do, look what my daughter can do. It was jealousy that uh, made Cain kill Abel. It was jealousy, because of jealousy, that Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. Jealous. It was jealousy that made Saul seek the life of David. Because when they came back from the battle, they said, Saul has killed his thousands, but David is ten thousands. And envy and jealousy swelled up in King Saul. And why does it take place? Because we're so foolish to compare ourselves with one another. You know, when I read this, I just had to get alone with the Lord. And I I said, Lord, I, I have battles in this area. And I want victory over that. And if I have battles, I know that you must have battles. We hear somebody speak and we think, I could never be like them. God has never intended you to be like them. That's why we're going over spiritual gifts. You are unique. Even if you have the same gift as somebody else, you may not have that unique blend of gifts. You don't have that personality. I've I've realized in the last few months that I'm not for everybody. I'm for those who have a sense of humor. No, I'm joking. I'm not for everybody. And that's why there are other local churches. That's why there are radio ministries that are different. You know, sometimes they say, why another radio ministry? Because everybody is different. And what appeals to one doesn't appeal to another. We are all different. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, Paul said this about those who were, those who were uh, claiming to be apostles. They were false apostles. He said their problem is they compare themselves with themselves. And they show themselves to be unwise. Their standard is themselves, but by comparing, they're unwise. The ministry is a place that finds plenty of jealousy. And it goes hand in hand with selfish ambition. This is very similar, and that's what he says in verse 14. Selfish ambition. You see, it's false wisdom that says, promote yourself. Be number one. Strive to the top. But it's God's wisdom that says, humble yourself. Be a servant. Don't look for the spotlight. I agree with A.W. Tozer and many others who have said this. The man who wants the spotlight ought to never have it. But it's our attitude. Aim for the top. Be number one. That promotion, that rivalry, that party split. That was the Corinthians' problem. They want their teachers to be teachers to be number one. They wanted, if you were in Paul's camp, they wanted Paul to be number one or Apollos or Cephas. They wanted their spiritual gifts to be number one. You know this word, selfish ambition, you know what it was used for by the Greeks? This will give you a picture of what what Paul or James is really saying. The Greeks used this word to describe a politician. A politician, uh, they described him as a selfish person ready to use any means to achieve his goal. And that's what James says that if we're controlled by false wisdom, we're just like politicians wanting to arrive at the top, wanting to be the best. Now, if you want to be the best for God's glory and his honor, there's nothing wrong with that. As a matter of fact, that's proper, that's fitting, that's right. But it's selfish ambition. He's not downgrading ambition. Matter of fact, in 1 Timothy 3, it says, if a man desires the office of an elder, he desires a good thing. If he desires it for God's glory is what Paul means. But you can have selfish ambition. Some want to just make a name for themselves. 
build a kingdom on earth, run over everyone until you're number one. And I sometimes wonder, and I don't want to judge, and I don't know the motivations of people's hearts, but it goes through my mind. I wonder the motivation behind Christian leaders who are consumed with statistics. There's a valid place for that. But if you're consumed with that, I wonder about the thinking or the membership, the number of people in your church or the number of baptisms that you have. You know, there are some some groups who print every year the churches that uh, have the most baptisms. And, and in some magazines, if you have a lot of baptisms, you get a big picture. And if you have a small number of baptisms, you get a little picture. You think I'm kidding. I'm not kidding. They really do that. The man who told me that, I'm not going to even tell you what he said you can do with that magazine, but he didn't say a nice thing. Or I wonder the motivation of of Christian leaders who put signs on their church buses that read, for instance, there's, there's one I know that big letter, I don't mean little letters, big, huge letters that says, world's largest Sunday school. I wonder about that. Why do people do that? I don't know. I hope it's not for selfish ambition. It's also impractical. When somebody beats you the next year, you've got to erase that whole thing. In the 1800s, in the city of London, the people of London were very privileged, the Christians there were privileged to have three pastors who we know today very well known. They were well known then. There was F.B. Meyer, who was at Westminster Chapel. There was G. Campbell Morgan, who was at Christ Church. And there was Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who was at the Metropolitan Chapel. The only problem was F.B. Meyer was jealous because more people came to Morgan's church and to Spurgeon's church than to his. But he said this, that he began praying for them. When he began praying that God would bless their ministry, he says this, and I quote, When I prayed for their success, the result was that God filled their churches so full that the overflow filled mine and has been full since. There's no room for jealousy. There should be no room for jealousy. And you know, sometimes churches, I found this, are suspect when you want to help them and you want nothing in return but God to be glorified. In our EE ministry a number of years ago, there was a church, there were a few churches that we helped, and we do it because we want to see the Word of God get out. This isn't a business. We're not trying to compete with anyone. And I spoke to this pastor and uh, told him that we would be happy to help him. And I think he was probing, oh, what's, what's the strings that are attached? What, what's the, uh, the gimmick here? And I told him, there's nothing. We just want to help you. And I think he kept waiting for me to kind of give him a bill at the end. Say, well, you owe us this money or we'd like you to paint the church or something. But there was nothing. We just want to see the word get out. And what happened? God took our ministry and so overwhelmingly blessed it because that's the way it is. When you give, you receive. Now, you don't give to receive, but it happens when you give with the motivation that God is glorified, God blesses. This is the spirit of Philippians chapter 2. I'd like you to turn there. Philippians chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. How do you do this? Verse 3, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Verse 4, do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. You see, that's a servant. 
And then he goes on to say, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ, because he did that. That was his attitude. Mind means attitude. Perspective. You see, the, the world is just out for themselves, you know, to be number one. But God says, that's not the way we're to operate. We're so different. We can only get that through our thinking, that we are so different from the world. We're supposed to be. And, and what if somebody gets ahead of us? What if God blesses someone else more than us? What if we're not the most popular church in Clearwater? So what? You see, it's all a matter of perspective. It's his church. This is the Lord's ministry. It really is his Sunday school class. Your family is really his family. You're just a steward of those children. The steward of that class, I'm just an under-shepherd. I'm not the shepherd. You don't belong to me. And you know what I realized as I was thinking about this and, and thinking about uh, all kinds of things and about people coming to, uh, to this church and growing in numbers? I thought, you know, I don't deserve to have anybody show up. I get to thinking like that sometimes. How come they're empty pews? I battle with that. And, and I came to a, to a firm conviction. Well, I've had this conviction, but I came to a firm decision in my mind that this week that if nobody else showed up next week, it wouldn't bother me. You know why? Because I know my wife will show up. She has to be here. And I'm going <laughs> to preach whether somebody shows up or not. And if it's only Michelle and I, and she'll bring the kids in because there won't be anybody in the nursery, I'm going to preach to three people. Because God didn't call me or anyone here to build a large church. He called us to be faithful in giving the word of God out. He called us to raise our families to the best of our abilities and teach them godly principles. He's called you and your Sunday school class to do the best job you can. Use your gifts. Love them. Teach them the word. Be faithful. Not, size isn't the issue. It's, you see, it's his, it's his church. It's all his. And Lord, if you want to pour 10,000 in here, that's up to you. If you want to take and put 10 in here, that's up to you. Our perspective should be that God receives the praise and the glory, not selfish ambition. That's so wrong. There was a very, there's a very famous book by Richard Baxter called The Reformed Pastor. And he calls in this book, he calls our attention to the blight of jealousy when he says, will any workman belie another because he helped him to do his master's work? Yet alas, how common it is in this terrible sin among men of parts and eminence in the church. They can secretly blot the reputation of those who stand across their own. And what they cannot do, shame in pain and open terms, they will do in malicious intimations. So that it is... It is their ordinary practice to keep down the estimation of any they dislike. And some go so far that they are unwilling that anyone who is abler than themselves should come into their pulpits, lest he should be applauded above themselves. A fearful thing that any man that hath the least of the fear of God should so envy God's gifts and hath rather that his hearers were unconverted and the drowsy not awakened that it should be done by another who may be preferred." saying that jealousy is terrible, but that's what takes place. God forbid we should ever fall into that petty rivalry. We ought to pray for every church in this, in this community to be greatly used of God, and every pastor and, and everyone you have jealousy with. Uh, perhaps it's a relative. Perhaps it's somebody who just does better than you, cleans the house better, who's always so neat and efficient, you just can't get your act together. 
Pray for them that they'll be the very best. That's how you conquer that. When there's bitter jealousy, when there's selfish ambition in your heart, and he uses the term in verse 14, the heart, because that's the source of moral action. It always produces, look what he says in verse 14, do not be arrogant. It always produces arrogance. Jealousy produces arrogance. Selfish ambition produces arrogance. What is arrogance? It means boasting, a gloating. That's what the word means. It conveys the thought of gloating over another because of assumed superiority. I've won. I've conquered. I'm better. And when you let the world's standard and the world's philosophy control you, you are doomed to give in to pride. That's what it is. You're proud. You begin to believe that you're really somebody special, that you're a celebrity, that you've arrived, and yet the Word of God says, we are nothing. Jesus said, without me, ye can do nothing. I've said this story before. I'll say it again because it's really worth repeating. Well-known, uh, a veteran missionary was speaking to a young missionary about to go on the field or had just come to the field, and this young missionary said to this veteran missionary, oh, pray for me that I might be nothing. The veteran missionary looked at him and said, you are nothing, take it by faith. That's exactly true. We are nothing. Anything we, we are, we are by the grace of God. But we begin to believe that we're the, the top dog. We've arrived. We've triumphed. You know what happens? You begin to lord it over people. As Peter says, don't do it, but you do it. Rather than be a servant, you lord it over people. And there are some in the ministry that are, that are accountable to no one are accountable to no one. They believe that really they wouldn't put it quite as blunt, but in their thinking, it seems like they want to come, come across as the fourth person of the Trinity. They are right up there. William Barclay said this, Few are in such constant spiritual peril as teachers and preachers. They are used to being listened to and, and to having their words accepted. All unconsciously, they tend, as Shakespeare had it, to say, and he quotes Shakespeare, I am Sir Oracle, and when I ope my lips, let no dog bark. It's a good description of what many in the ministry really believe about themselves. And what happens finally in verse 14? You become arrogant and you so lie against the truth. How do you lie against the truth? When we boast we are lying against the truth because in reality, we're nobody, but we think we're somebody. We've got to lie. We've got to deny what we really are. Now, we're special. That's true, but only because of Christ. He made us in his image. He saved us. He died for us. But in ourselves, we are nothing. We merit nothing before God. This is the doctrine of total depravity. That's what we mean by total depravity, that we merit no favor before God. Now, what do we say about this? You know, the reason that there's a contrast between verse 13 and verse 14 is because of verse 15, what it tells us. This wisdom is not that which, come down, which comes down from above, but it's earthly, it's natural, it's demonic. That's the reason. This is the world's thinking. This is Satan's thinking. This is the natural man's thinking. He says it's earthly. It's the wisdom of this world. 
Paul in 1 Corinthians, the beginning, chapter 1, says us, tells us that the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. God says it's ridiculous. And yet, the world has so much arrogance and so many, so many ridiculous ideas about wisdom. Our world has a lot of knowledge, but it doesn't know what to do with that knowledge. We can get a man to the moon, but we can kill somebody on the street. We don't know what to do with all our knowledge and technology. You see, the earth's wisdom is based upon reason. God's wisdom, what a teacher ought to follow, is based upon revelation, the revelation of God. We don't have wisdom in ourselves. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. When we put our trust in Christ, when we come to him recognizing that we don't want to die in our sins and go to hell forever, which is outer darkness, There'll be no buddies around. When we're in hell, when we realize that, that fear grips our heart, we come to him. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And then he says it's natural, or as the King James says, I believe it's sensual. Natural as opposed to spiritual. It's man's nature apart from God's spirit. That's the way the world operates. It's a rat race out in the world but it's a, it's a terrible thing when, when Christians get involved in that. When unbelievers do, well, we can't expect anything different. Matter of fact, it was Donald Gray Barnhouse who said that if you have a neighbor who's not saved, you ought to be thrilled that he doesn't shoot you. Someone has written a book, Madness is in Their Hearts. But when, an, when a believer gets like that, that's tragic. We wonder if somebody's really saved, and that's what James is dealing with. Because he's giving us tests of the Christian faith. We wonder if somebody's really saved when they behave that way. And it's demonic. It's just like Satan's thinking. He was jealous, and he is jealous. He wanted to be like God. It's demonic. That was his whole problem. Selfish ambition, jealousy. He couldn't stand to see God get the glory, and he wanted it himself. It's demonic in the sense also that it will never improve, a person who's like this will never improve though he knows the truth if he stays like that. Now, what do we do about this? We need God's wisdom. How do you get God's wisdom? You first receive Christ as Savior. And then Paul tells us that he is the wisdom of God. He's the wisdom of God. Apart from him, we have no wisdom. We are nothing, and we ought to take it by faith, not have God have to prove that to us. Many believers don't rely upon the Lord, and they'll never become wise like Solomon. Remember we spoke about him last week? Give, give me wisdom and understanding. God says it's yours for the taking. If you've received Christ, you've got the potential to be the wisest person in the world. The Bible is the key. If you're here and you don't know Christ, you need to trust Christ, or you will be frustrated all of your life in this rat race, in this petty jealousy, in this selfish ambition, in the attempt to be number one, and you will never reach number one. You will never do it. And even if you seem to reach your goals, you'll want to go higher and higher and higher. The story of most of us is that, those of us who are saved later in life, is that God let us go on trying to reach our goals and our ambitions and then finally showed us that we were failures and that we needed Christ, and we submitted to the authority of God and said, you take over, I'll go your way, not my way. It doesn't work my way. 
I've known Christ for 10 years, and I can say that it always works His way. Indeed it does. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus and His humble willingness to be our sacrifice. Lord, I ask that you'd give us the kind of wisdom that you gave to Solomon. Help us to recognize and reject the false wisdom that we see all around us and draw on you for the kind of wisdom that leads to everlasting life. Amen. Thanks for listening. It was a joy to have you with us today for Verse by Verse. Pastor teacher Steve Kreloff is leading us through the third chapter of the book of James. If you're ever in Clearwater, Florida on a Sunday morning, perhaps you'd like to meet Pastor Steve in person. I know he'd really enjoy meeting you. He serves at Lakeside Community Chapel, located at 1893 Sunset Point Road. Learn more at lakesidechapel.com or call 727-441-1714. Find out about Verse by Verse at our website, versebyverseradio.org. Check out our extensive library of previous broadcasts on the Message Archive page. And if the Lord is moving you to help support this ministry, you can find out how on the giving page. We appreciate the generous people who help us stay on the air. That's versebyverseradio.org. I'm Jerry Peterson. Remember a minute ago when I asked the Lord to help us recognize false wisdom. On our next Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve will have some helpful information for us as we consider the ways worldly wisdom shows itself in the lives of the unsaved. strength between three-star general michael j flynn head of the pentagon intelligence agency knew all the government's dirty secrets he was one of the most respected generals in the military flynn knew what the intel world had been up to he understood its funding he ordered the first audit of the use of contractors this set off alarm bells the explosive new documentary flynn Deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.